0: Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com.
1: So, they also point out that they think, in addition to this, not having any definitive evidence that it didn't come from nature is the fact that Chinese officials didn't seem to have any foreknowledge that the virus existed before researchers at the lab had isolated it or after it was seen in the general population. So there's, there I think you're actually getting into some of the more classified intelligence where there's no indication, and I think this is true from my reporting, that Chinese officials didn't seem to know ahead of time anything about it. They seemed caught by surprise by it. As well. I'm
0: Benjamin Wittes, and this is the Lawfare Podcast, November 2nd, 2021. The Office of the Director of National Intelligence has issued an unclassified assessment of the origins of the coronavirus. And guess what? It's a bit of a muddle. Was it a lab leak? They don't really know. Was it naturally occurring? They're not quite sure. They know a few things, it wasn't a bioweapon, and we're not gonna find out any real answers until China starts cooperating. Joining me in the Virtual Jungle studio to chew over the ODNI's report is Shane Harris of the Washington Post, intelligence reporter extraordinaire, who wrote a story about the assessment last week. We talked about what the intelligence community could agree on, what it couldn't agree on, why the people with the minority opinion were more confident than the people with the majority opinion, and what we can and can't say about the China virus. It's the Lawfare Podcast, November 2nd, Shane Harris on the ODNI's coronavirus assessment. So Shane, can we now start calling this the China
1: virus? (laughs) <laughs> Did we ever stop? Uh,
0: you know, it just seems like we were told we shouldn't do that. And then now the intelligence community has said that there's a at least a reasonable chance that it was the result of a lab accident in Wuhan. So I just think, think we should start with the important questions. Is Donald Trump vindicated?
1: Completely. I mean, the, the the National Intelligence Estimate on Donald Trump and the China virus was unanimous. No, of course. Not. Uh, and and we should we're we're straining the term reasonable, perhaps. Uh, there there was a moderate confidence by an element of the intelligence community, which whatever that means, we can talk about. But they do seem to believe, however, that this virus did in fact come from China.
0: All right. Jokes aside, it does seem like the community has gone through something of an evolution on this. Early in the pandemic, public health people seemed quite dismissive of the idea that this might have been anything other than a naturally occurring zoonotic transmission. And the belief that this really had something to do with the Wuhan lab was confined to a relatively marginal quarter That happened to include the president, but that's a different matter. It does seem like that idea has gained strength. So let's start with the question of what the community is unanimous about. And so tick us through the areas of agreement as the community evaluated this. What can we say with confidence, or at least what do they say with confidence?
1: They say with confidence, the highest confidence probably in this assessment, that the SARS-CoV-2 virus is not a bioweapon. It was not intentionally manufactured for a military purpose or a bioweaponry purpose. That part they 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 all seem to agree on that. They're Pretty much in agreement that this was not a genetically altered virus, which is to say, you know, intentionally altered. They, they seem pretty unanimous on that, maybe a little less so. And the reason that I'm a little hesitant about that is because this is when we also now start to, div- the areas of division start to appear. That there is an element of the community that thinks that this could have been the result of something that happened in a lab. That doesn't necessarily mean intentionally genetically altered. But those two top line things, not a bioweapon, that's the big unanimous one, probably not genetically engineered. Then they diverge into this question of was this actually a virus that existed in a lab, perhaps unknowingly to the people in the Wuhan Institute of Virology, which is to say they collected SARS CoV 2 from a bat or another animal and didn't know they had it, and someone in the lab became infected, and that's sort of your patient zero. And then what appears to be the plurality view, although it's hard to gauge that because they don't give percentages of the number of analysts said this, the plurality view seems to be what I think the scientific view largely is still, is that this probably is a virus that emanated in nature when an animal infected with SARS-CoV-2 passed it to a human. But you're quite right to point out that there's been an evolution where they have clearly in the community taken seriously and some people do take seriously. The idea that this was the result of a lab leak so-called. In fact, notably, the element that ranked the lab leak theory as the most plausible gave it moderate confidence, whereas the natural selection or natural transmission estimate appears to be a lower level of confidence. So the people who think that it was a lab leak, while apparently smaller in number, I think, are a little firmer in their conclusion it's
0: kind of like election enthusiasm you know you can you can win with a smaller number of people supporting you if they are more enthusiastic about it what do we know about the agencies that took these different positions i mean one of the things that's a little bit confusing about the assessment is that you're kind of gauging the number of analysts but also the number of different agencies the agencies aren't named but do we have any sense of who lined up on what side of this issue
1: we really don't and that's what's one of the things that's frustrating to me in reporting this and i have to say you know i didn't put this in my piece on this last week because i'm not really sure and i don't want careful to say but you know i've heard people from some agencies thinking it's lab leak and some agencies thinking it's not and sometimes the agencies that i've heard that are leaning lab leak are kind of surprising it's also i think the case that there may be individual analysts inside an agency that took the view that it might be a lab leak but that that was a minority view within that agency so what the assessment doesn't even say agencies really it says elements so in the top line conclusion, which had been previously released in August, and what we're seeing now is more of an elaboration on how they reach these assessments, says that four intelligence community elements, which I think you could take to mean an agency or an organization within an agency. So for instance, we know that the, I think the counter proliferation center at the CIA was part of this analysis. So that might be an element. Um, rather than saying like CIA as a whole. But four intelligence community elements plus the National Intelligence Council, which is a separate body, were the ones who assessed with low confidence that the infection was most likely caused by natural exposure from an animal to a human. And then one IC element assessed with moderate confidence that it was likely the result of a laboratory-associated incident. I mean, to be clear too, they're not even saying necessarily accident, but something involving a lab is as, as the, as the origins of it. But then they go on to say analysts at three intelligence community elements remain unable to coalesce around either the natural argument or the lab leak, and that they give reasons for why these views were different, largely stemming, they say, from how intelligence agencies waive different intelligence reporting, but also scientific publications and gaps in both declassified intel and the science but basically you're you're looking at you know four elements plus the nick being in favor of natural and one element being in favor of the lab leak so it's basically 5 5 against 1
0: all right but there's another weird element to this which is that it's 5 against 1 except that the five have low confidence and yes. the one has moderate confidence and that rubs me the wrong way because, in my experience, moderate confidence kind of means when an, IC, when an IC element assesses something with moderate confidence. High confidence is code for "we're sure of this." Correct. Moderate confidence is we feel pretty good about it, but we're not a hundred percent sure. And low confidence is kind of, I don't know, sort of like this. And so to to have moderate confidence in the face of having somebody, the weight of opinion being low confidence that you're wrong, strikes me as an odd posture for whatever component to take that's taking that position. And I'm wondering if you've given any thought to what it means for one Intelligence component to be running around saying we we feel pretty good about this. It's uh we're we're Team Lab Leak and the other ones to to be like
1: ah eh, kind of not. Yeah, I have thought a lot about that because I was struck by the confidence differential as well, and particularly struck that it as you say it's the it's the one sort of pro Lab Leak element that is the highest level of confidence in the whole bunch. We should be clear as we're discussing this assessment. This is a declassified assessment. So it doesn't include any description of intelligence that is classified, but presumably it reflects a review of intelligence that is classified. And I say that because the one sort of place where the assessment gives some explanation for why the moderate team leans lab leak, it says that they took into account the inherently risky nature of the work that was being performed at a lab. Now, putting aside for just a moment what other classified intelligence this element may have had access to, it strikes me is that this moderate assessment is based in part on supposition. You're saying essentially, or they're saying essentially, this kind of work is risky, lab leaks have happened before, People who have been working with deadly or dangerous viruses in labs have become infected with them before and carried them out uh, into the wider world. And so this is kind of weighing, weighing, tilting the scales for us in favor of lab leak. And I looked at that and said, well, hold on a second. I mean, that's, you know, you're, you're sort of assuming that because there is this, you know, history of possible safety concerns at this particular lab, as well as other labs, that it's likely that this was a lab leak. But that's not really, that's, that's supposition, and there's a lot of science to counter the idea that it's lab leak. So that made me wonder, is this element just kind of, for whatever reason, predisposed more to think that it's lab leak and just likes that idea better, and they're sort of looking for explanations to fit, evidence to fit that explanation? Or do they see something in the classified information that makes them lean more moderate? I'm not so sure about that because you'd think that if there was something really persuasive in the classified intelligence that made at least one IC element lean moderately in favor of lab leak, that maybe one more would lean in that direction. So, I just I am I'm, I'm skeptical, I guess, about as they call it in the assessment, the case for the laboratory-associated incident hypothesis <laughs> instead of lab leak. I like lab leak; it's catchier. I'm skeptical because it, it from what they're saying, it appears to be based largely on supposition and the idea that, well, this happened once before, so it could have happened again.
0: Yeah. So let's go through the case for the lab leak versus the case for the uh, naturally occurring zoonotic transmission. So Shane, you've sort of summarized team lab leak, but like walk us through it. it what's the best case as summarized in the unclassified data for the lab leak?
1: Well, point number one would be that the employees of the Wuhan Institute of Virology, which is where the first cases were found in late 2019, that's to say in Wuhan, had conducted research on other coronaviruses. So the pro lab leak team starts with the basis, which is true, that this lab had done work with coronaviruses and SARS CoV 2, the coronavirus. The analysts looked at academic articles that had been published by researchers at the lab, as well as what they found were public instances of inadequate biosafety conditions at the lab that could have led to an accident. It's not discussed in this assessment, but we also know, because it's been reported by a colleague of mine here at the Washington Post, that State Department officials did visit the Wuhan lab a couple of years before the outbreak, uh, and they also documented in diplomatic cables safety concerns that they had about the lab. So there's this kind of history of a safety concern about the lab. The pro-lab leak team also takes into account the fact that the initial clusters of COVID-19 cases occurred only in Wuhan, and that the researchers at the lab had taken samples of coronaviruses from animals throughout China, and as they put it, quote, provided a node for the virus to enter the city. So this idea being that while you wouldn't necessarily expect to see a zoonotic outbreak, you know, in Wuhan that these researchers had been collecting samples from other animals far from Wuhan and could have essentially brought it back. That's one thing. Uh, and and, and, they, and they do, you know, focus on this idea that Wuhan is, is the epicenter. And it's kind of like, well, you've got the epicenter of a pandemic and this big lab dealing with coronaviruses in the epicenter. And they're sort of drawing an inference there as well. And then, as I said, they also judged that the researchers' work was, inherently risky and as they put it provided numerous opportunities for them to unwittingly become infected with SARS-CoV-2. I will say though, the intelligence community doesn't have any indications that the lab's research actually involved SARS-CoV-2 or even a close progenitor virus. So again, the pro-lab league team here is saying, well, it could have happened this way, but they don't appear to have any scientific evidence that it likely happened this way. So I think that they're basing a lot of this, again, on, you know, supposition, which makes me just wonder, what else are we not seeing here that, that is maybe tilting scales? Or is there just, sort of, you know, on their side, an innate bias, thinking that it could have happened there because of all the reasons that we just discussed?
0: Isn't there another, it seemed to me in reading this, there was another factor that was just that there's a big lab here, right and it's a virology lab and it's sitting there right near where these cases presented and it's kind of like well if you had the fort detrick virus that you know emerged in frederick maryland and it was a somewhat exotic presentation of a new virus you would say, well, gosh, Fort Detrick, where we do all our bioweapons research and our biodefense research is sitting right there in Frederick, Maryland. I wonder, right, isn't like a big factor in this just that it's sitting there right next to the Wuhan lab?
1: Yeah, I think that's right. And you see that in the assessment. And also, I will say in in other reporting I've done around this question of the virus's origins, in talking to officials, you know, who looked for evidence of this at the time, they pointed to that fact too as being like, you know, come on, like there's a little bit of one plus one equals two here that they, you know, they were clear in saying they didn't have a smoking gun, but the fact that this lab was there and hadn't just done some research in coronaviruses, it was like, you know, the leading research institute in coronaviruses for good reason. I mean, many of the coronaviruses that scientists are studying, you know, emanate from that part of the world. and, And there's a long history of, of research going back there but yeah they look at this and say you know it, let's let's pick the most like you know occam's razor here like what's the most like, simplistic explanation all things being equal you know this doesn't get into the science and we can talk more about that and you know the makeup of the virus and you know what you would expect to see in terms of telltale signs if it had been manipulated in a lab but yeah the fact that this giant laboratory filled with coronavirus is sitting in the in the outbreak site strikes People in favor of this theory as a is a big factor in favor of it.
0: Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare Short-Term Insurance Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. J.D. Power ranks sleep number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hey, Lawfare listeners, Ben Wittes here. I want to tell you about the first time I got and enter code LAWFARE20 at checkout. That's joindeleteme.com slash LAWFARE20, code LAWFARE20. All right, so let's talk about Team Zoonotic Blame the Bats. What do they have to say?
1: What they say is, they, they first off, they, they and I will say here, there's maybe a little bit of, you could accuse them of, of historical bias too. They say, Most viruses emanate in nature. Yes, it's true that we've seen leaks before from labs, but that doesn't mean there was one here. And most of these transmissions actually happen in what's called zoonotic transmission. You know, an animal has it and gives it to a person. They also note that in China, there's a wide diversity of animals who are susceptible to SARS-CoV-2. And that in China, you have high levels of animal, animal trafficking, farming, animal sale, animal rescue, all places where you have a chance that an infected animal, whether it's a bat or some other animal, could give it to a person. And so they kind of look at this and say, look, you know, this is how these things usually happen. And then they, you know, I think they kind of, to a degree, you know, pick apart a little bit the pro lab league side and say, okay, well, if you guys think that, that SARS-CoV-2 or something that was right on the cusp of, you know, mutating in what we know as SARS-CoV-2 was sitting in a lab, you know, where is it? And and the closest cousin that so far scientists have found is another coronavirus from bats that I think is around 96% genetically similar to SARS-CoV-2, which may sound like it's really close. It's not. That's actually quite distinct from the novel coronavirus SARS-CoV-2 so they also point out that they think in addition to this not having any definitive evidence that it didn't come from nature is the fact that chinese officials didn't seem to have any foreknowledge that the virus existed before researchers at the lab had isolated it or after it was seen in the general population so there's there i think you're actually getting into some of the more classified intelligence where there's no indication and i think this is true from my reporting that Chinese officials didn't seem to know ahead of time anything about this. They seemed caught by surprise by it as well. And I think that the the pro natural selection or or anti lab leak forces would say, look, if this came out of a lab, we would see, you know, emails or we'd have intercepted conversations among Chinese officials saying, oh crap, you know, the guys at the lab screwed up, or oh, I told them not to be messing with this in the lab, or something like that, that would give them some confidence in the intelligence community that Chinese officials do about it. They just don't see that. What they see instead is evidence that once the virus got out and was ripping through Wuhan, that Chinese officials were trying to downplay it and cover up how severe it actually was.
0: So I want to ask what the default assumption, in your opinion, should be here. So I think I can argue this either way. You say in any given large city, call it Wuhan, the likelihood of a new virus presenting is really small. On the other hand, the history of new virus presentations is replete with naturally occurring ones from the 1918 flu to the Black Death, right? And the number of human leaked ones is vanishingly small, So we should assume absent particularly strong evidence of a human cause or a human accident that this is an example of a naturally occurring event. On the other hand, you could, I suppose, make the argument that, hey, you got a lab here, a lab with with a bad uh, track record and a safety track record and a history of dealing with coronaviruses you've got a coronavirus, and there aren't a lot of, you know, naturally occurring bats flying around Wuhan. So the the default hypothesis should be that it has something to do with that lab. First of all, do you have a sense that the competing sides here are really fighting, given that neither of them has direct evidence, they're really fighting about default assumptions, And secondly, which default assumption do you favor?
1: I think that they are arguing over default assumptions, largely because, and they say this very clearly in the assessment, they still lack information to reach a definitive conclusion. I mean, you know, so they're kind of, you know, falling back on on history to a large degree here. You know, the safe answer here for me is to say, like, assume nothing and the jury is still out and we'll see what more information... Yet, right, you know, if you put a gun to my head and said you have to pick one or the other, which do you think is more likely? I'd say natural is more likely, simply because it's happened so many other times before, and for all the reasons we've discussed. But I think it would be both premature and unwise to completely rule out the lab leak scenario. And, and here, you know, it, it's it was interesting to me the way that early on, when this, and I've written about this before. When the lab leak scenario or the hypothesis was being pretty aggressively pushed by officials in the Trump administration, it was notable to me that a lot of scientists who were experts in virology were publicly dismissing it, not just because I think they felt that it was not scientifically sound and there was so much kind of default evidence that it was natural, but because it was being pushed by the Trump administration. I think that there was a reflexive instinct on their part to say, Donald Trump and Mike Pompeo and the people who work for them are saying it must not be true. If they're just they're weaponizing this to go after China to demonize them and they're coming up with you know crazy theories, even though you know the scenario as laid out generically has occurred before. There have been lab leaks, and of course you know as as you rightly pointed out in the beginning, the intelligence community position kind of starts to take more seriously the lab leak idea, which I think leaves the scientists to say like, well, I guess it's not entirely impossible. You know that said. There's not even that. There's no smoking gun associated with a lab leak. It's just it's it's even like there's no the strongest piece of information that I'm aware of that sort of leans in the direction of the Chinese were hiding something. Is this you know? And I know that from people who were pro lab leak that they were found very compelling. Was this report that from classified information in the fall of 2019 that there were these several researchers at the Wuhan lab who had gone to the hospital reporting symptoms consistent with COVID-19, um, but also possibly the flu. And, and the assessment actually addresses that in a separate tiny little box, but they call it out separately, where they say the ICSS assesses that information indicating that several researchers reported symptoms consistent with COVID-19 is not diagnostic of the pandemic's origins, even if confirmed, important, even if confirmed, so they're saying here it's not confirmed, hospital admission alone would not be diagnostic of COVID-19 infection. you got to read between the lines a little bit there, but I read that as people in the intelligence community saying, yeah, we know you guys have seen these classified reports that people supposedly went to a hospital. We're skeptical that that may even have happened, but even if it did, we don't know that it was COVID You can't use that as an argument in favor of a lab leak. Uh, And the people who do believe in lab leak, because I've talked to several of them, thought that those reports about sick workers from the Wuhan lab, it kind of was the turning point for them. That's when they said, oh, wait a minute, this definitely feels like this could be a lab leak. It's Obviously, it's it's very compelling and kind of arresting information, but here this assessment is saying, not so fast.
0: It's interesting. It's always struck me as likely a wrong turn piece of information. Mm -hmm. Because given what we know about the contagiousness of COVID, if you imagine a cluster of infections among lab workers, the idea that it would have stayed contained to a small group of lab workers and not transmitted to any of the hospital workers, not transmitted to any of the lab workers' families is simply not consistent with what we know about SARS-CoV-2 behavior. And so I've always thought that piece of information was likely a dead end. But I'm still hung up on the moderate confidence of the one component that buys the lab leak theory. So your account, which is consistent with my read of the document, just sort of talking it through out loud, it does not seem to me like there's much to be said for the lab leak theory. And so I'm puzzled by the fact that the people who feel strongly about who, who buy it, feel much more strongly about it than the people who don't buy it. I guess I want to come back to that. Yeah. And see, do you think we should look at this as well, maybe there's more in the classified data that we're not seeing or as you alluded to earlier, uh this is maybe a group of people or a component that got very fixated on one results-oriented idea and are kind of beating the data till they confess.
1: I think that we shouldn't assume <clears throat> that there is some smoking gun or very persuasive piece that we can't see. I mean, I've talked to a lot of people who have seen the classified information, and while they aren't really revealing it, you know, I think we can all safely presume that if the Trump administration felt that it had a persuasive data point or even a smoking gun, they would have released it, and they didn't. I think what's more likely to explain, and this is, again, this is just my judgment here, but having thought about this for a while and reported on it, That what kind of tilts the pro-lab leak group from low confidence to moderate confidence is their distrust in China, their belief that Chinese officials are hiding something and have every incentive to hide something. They actually there's a there's a bit in here in the assessment that refers to these pro-lab leak analysts that says I'll just read it. These analysts also note that China's investigations into the pandemic's origins might not uncover evidence of a laboratory-associated incident if it involved only a small number of researchers who did not acknowledge or have knowledge of a potential infection. So when you unpack that, what they're kind of saying is that this could have happened and either the Chinese are lying about it, Chinese officials, or people who were involved didn't tell the people higher up the chain who didn't tell their bosses. And, and I can understand and even, you know, some degree sympathize with that analysis because it does appear that that the people kind of on the local level in Wuhan maybe weren't being completely honest up the chain of command all the way back to Beijing, kind of a little bit of a Chernobyl type situation where, you know, people on the ground closest to where the action was happening were not telling their superiors how bad it actually was. And then, of course, you know, there's just an inherent, I think, belief that some people have that the Chinese are always covering things up and they're obfuscating and you know there's ample evidence to suggest that's true in a number of places. So I think that kind of what tilts it is this sense among them that, you know, the Chinese could very well be hiding something or simply not even have any idea that this virus emanated from, you know, the giant coronavirus lab sitting at ground zero.
0: All right. So one additional thing that everybody seems to agree on is that we're not going to know this for sure without Chinese cooperation. What does the report actually say about Chinese cooperation and or obfuscation on the key points.
1: They are pretty explicit and direct. They say, quote, China is likely to impede the investigation. They point out, as you said, that the IC judges that it can't provide a more definitive answer to the question unless there's new information that allows analysts to determine the specific pathway that the virus took and whether or not it came from the lab in Wuhan. But they point out that Beijing has already limited the World Health Organization investigations team access to the sites. That is true. That in late July, China denounced a WHO plan for future investigations into the origins. And the Chinese people claimed um, that the proposal for these future investigations was politicized and that they rebuked the WHO's plans to look at more labs in China as a conspiracy theory. And then also the, the assessment points out that China has been pursuing its own story about how the virus, pushing, I should say, a story about how the virus originated outside of China. So you had officials from the government in China claiming that the virus originated from imported frozen food, uh, which the assessment calls an extremely unlikely theory. Uh, that, is, that is, I think, that is near scientific consensus that it did not put a ride on some frozen food. And then also, China's government continues to spread allegations that the U.S. actually created or intentionally spread SARS-CoV-2, and the intelligence assessment said this is an attention to attention away from Beijing. So it, it is not only like leaving out no hope that China is going to suddenly come clean or, or be more transparent or open and join the World Health Organization and others in a search for the origin, it outright says that China is going to continue taking steps to make sure a full investigation never happens.
0: So one thing that I find interesting here is the question of whether China's obfuscation should itself be interpreted as evidence, or whether it is really just the reflexive reaction of an authoritarian regime to a bad thing that happened under its watch, you know, deny, obfuscate, blame on foreigners. You know, I you could make an argument that, hey, If this was a naturally occurring thing that was spread through wet markets in in Wuhan, you know, that's nothing particular to be ashamed of. Why not let the WHO in and resolve the thing? It's really only if it's a lab leak that this kind of, uh, or I suppose a a worse, a bioweapon, but they seem to have ruled that out, right? So it's only if it's something you know, shameful or that reflects badly on the party, that you really need to go through these efforts to prevent it from being found out. Uh, Do any of the components regard the Chinese reaction as itself probative evidence in any direction?
1: It's it's pretty clear that the pro-Lab League side views it, you know, that that is suggestive of some kind of a, you know, Chinese cover-up potentially. Yeah, I haven't seen a lot from the scientific community to explain why the Chinese aren't being more forthcoming other than, you know, it's a secret of society or they don't want to get blamed. I mean, it's striking to me that, you know, that the intelligence community, regardless of where they come down on, whether it's whether it's lab leak or natural, that they all agree that the Chinese are doing everything they can from getting an answer to the question either way. And, you know. If I'm looking for, just I'm maybe taking my journalist hat off here for a second and I'm saying, all right, have I got to place a bet, if I were going to try and think about what's the rationale for betting on lab leak, this actually is the piece of information that might make me the most likely to consider putting a bet on it. Because, you know, the Chinese have us, they do have not they may not see it this way, but they do have an incentive for allowing a full investigation if they know that it didn't come from a lab. Right. If you know that if you if you are Xi Jinping, and you are just dead certain this did not come from a lab. Well, then settle it. I mean, just settle the question now and get rid of the controversy. Now there may be a dozen other reasons why you'd say I won't do it, Do that, but it's not illogical to think that if you want to settle this question, then open it up and let people come in. Now I know that the Chinese government, you know, has its own domestic constituency that they have to play to. There's a strong interest in the central government not making it seem as though China was at fault here in any way. I get that. But, you know, it is a little strange that they are being so obstructionist in this. It'd be one thing if they were sort of, you know, yeah, you can come in, you can look around. They were being a little bit stingy with the details. And to be clear, they were kind of like that with the initial WHO team that went in, which is what ultimately led the Biden administration. and Even WHO had to kind of disavow that particular part of the investigation as well. But you know, they're now just actively spreading theories that it was the United States or that it came in on frozen food. And just none of those are credible. So that strikes me as rather desperate. I guess if I had to say, you know, why are they doing it? It probably goes to central government Beijing wanting to give nothing away to the public and make it look like it had anything to do with this, or to make it look like potentially that, you know, there's a huge danger for future outbreaks emanating from China because of you know, research or animal husbandry practices or wet markets or or whatever, that that would just erode confidence in, in their economy and different systems. And the Chinese government doesn't want to do that. I'm not a China analyst. I'm just speculating here. But it just is it is quite striking the degree to which China has gone to not only not cooperate with an investigation into this you know, once in a century pandemic, but to try and shift the blame every time that it can in in the most implausible ways.
0: We are going to leave it there. Shane Harris, thank you for joining us.
1: Thanks for having me, Ben.
0: The Lawfare Podcast is produced in cooperation with the Brookings Institution, our audio engineer. This episode is the estimable Kara Schillen of Goat Rodeo. You need to do your part to promote the Lawfare Podcast, so get on it. Social media has no higher purpose for you than sharing your views of the Lawfare Podcast. Become a material supporter of Lawfare on our Patreon page, where our merch at thelawfarestore.com The Lawfare Podcast is edited by Jen Patya Howell. Our music is performed by Sophia Yan. And as always, thanks for listening.